podcast broadcasting to Harry Potter fans around the world for more than 11 years join Terence Pinkston Bailey Riddle Luke Hogan Gretchen Rush and Alex Lohman as they take the wizarding world by storm this is Hogwarts Radio stay classy Hogwarts this is Hogwarts Radio, episode 258 for March 22nd, 2020. Hogwarts Radio is the official podcast for wizarding news from HPANA, discussing all things Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and the rest of the wizarding world. Catch up with previous episodes of the podcast wherever you're listening or by visiting HogwartsRadio.com. Welcome to episode 258 of Hogwarts Radio. I'm Terrence Pinkston. I'm Bailey Riddle. I'm Luke Hogan. And I'm Alex Lillman. Hogwarts Radio can be found anywhere you get your podcasts online. It doesn't matter where you listen, just be sure to click subscribe and you'll have a new episode as soon as it's released. Follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to get in on the fun with other listeners and fans of the series. And join the Unfoundables, an exclusive companion to the podcast. Get Unfound today at patreon.com slash unfoundable. Thank you for joining us once again for another episode. And gosh, I feel like I say this every single time, but it feels good to be back. I feel like uh, that that scene in, uh, what is it? Order of the Phoenix, whatever Minister of Magic goes, it's back, except for it's back. I don't know. I feel like this is a headline in the Daily Prophet. Hogwarts Radio returns amid coronavirus shutdown. <laughs> it's amazing how we somehow have more time on our hands than usual. Yeah. It's yeah, barely. Interesting. Just barely. <laughs> kind of feels weird. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, with all the craziness happening in the in the world right now, and I mean, it's nice to escape to Hogwarts Radio just for a little bit every single week and i think as luke pretty much hit the nail on the head we're you know we've got a little bit more time you know we don't have that that traveling time we don't have to you know say oh i'm gonna be at work until six o'clock well yeah you might be at work until six o'clock but i mean right now like for example luke is at work this is where i've been sitting most of my time this week working from home it's been just just awesome I, I don't mind working from home. There's, you know, it's <laughs> there's certain benefits to it of, hey, I can let the dog out and not worry that she's destroying the entire house all day. I can see her doing this. It's just that much easier. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because this morning I got up and I was like, okay, I might as well just start working now because, you know, it's not like I need to get ready for work. I can just roll out of bed and do what I want. I was walking out to the living room to my makeshift shift desk that i've got set up by i was pantomiming that i'm driving my car out into the living room and oh man the c- commute was just awful this morning we're glad everybody's joining us uh once again for another episode and it's nice to escape into the world of harry potter just for a little while each week and speaking of escaping well, we've been doing a lot of that over on Patreon. We absolutely have. This week on The Unfoundables, Eric and Terrence, uh, they sat down to discuss their favorite supporting character outside of the Core 7. 
So I know I, for one, am very excited to hear what their thoughts are on this. And you should be too. So go ahead and join us on Patreon if you'd like to hear this episode of The Unfoundables. Meanwhile, Luke has uh, compiled the news for us this week. So tell us what we've got. You know, things are really <laughs> out of whack if I'm the one doing the news. What is going right. on? <laughs> this is usually the part where I'm like, hey, let are me know we when you need me. Down? I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so uh i i did find some news articles these are uh, probably two weeks old now from when i actually found them uh but i think they're still worth talking about and the number one story in my opinion is the tales of beetle the bard is going to be re- released on audiobook uh coming up soon i don't know if an official oh march 31st so really soon um i've pre-ordered mine i know it's gonna be really cool because it's gonna be read by many different voices that we may be familiar with including warwick davis noma dumezweni jason isaacs jude law ivana lynch sally mortimer and none other than bonnie wright so what do you guys think of this this is kind of the last of the mini hogwarts library that's been put to audiobook right so it kind of completes the actual collection so far i mean it's about time it what it took him 10 years to do it tales of the beetle the bard was released what 10 years ago like or more than 10 actually 2008 yeah, yeah. Wow, about as long as we've been going. Um, I'm excited for this. I really am. I mean, it's it's going to be a, a refreshing change of pace to hear different voices, I think, it, it, different people. If you're interested, I can tell you which stories that they're each reading, or you can read the article yourself. Oh, I was going to say, tell me more, but hold the spoilers. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you one. Pick one of those actors, and I'll tell you which one they're doing. Oh, is... Uh, Jude Law is doing the Albus Dumbledore introduction. Okay. Fair. All right. And and the notes throughout. Well, my reaction is definitely like, be still my heart. I am so excited with the cast that they have managed to secure for this. Um, So, you know, Jason Isaacs, oh my gosh, as much as I despise him in the films, he has this awesome tone quality in his voice that I'm like, oh, I could listen to that for forever. Um, I think Jude Law will be awesome. Obviously, I have the biggest fangirl crush on Ivana Lynch, so I'm so excited that she's going to be a part of it. Um, And I think it's just a nice way to re-energize the fans back into Tales of Beetle the Bard. And I love the audiobooks. I've loved them since I was a kid when they were on freaking cassettes because that's how old I am. Um, I, I, had all, I had all of them cassettes as well. Don't oh, you worry. The they're the absolute best. I'm so excited that they're doing this. Wait, hold up. They were on cassettes? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, book four <laughs> was like, it was like 30 cartridges, I think. Yeah, it was huge. Oh, my God. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was awesome. I mean, I know that uh, that Deathly Hallows was what seven CDs or oh God, I want to see four CDs. I don't know. I can't remember, but it was, I remember it being quite a bit. Like you'd have to take the CD out of the CD player and stuff. I mean, I'm not sure my millennial here at all. I mean, I I'm just as old, if not older, than you guys. Um, but that, that's fascinating. I don't remember them being on cassette tapes, but I mean, that's no, never mind. Um, It's going to be very cool, very refreshing. Next article we have, Scholastic is revealing a new 
another new illustrated edition of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone designed by the magical team Mina Lima. Um, I hope everyone knows who Mina Lima is, but it is the incredibly talented team that's been working on the movies for 20 years now, Eduardo Lima and Miraforma. Mirafora Mina, and uh, I'll just give you a quick snippet of the article itself. 20 years of designing for the Wizarding World have come full circle in this extraordinary opportunity to depict Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in a new way. So, I have you guys seen at least the cover image uh, in the article? I have the link posted there. It looks pretty awesome, I think. Yeah, I, I'm definitely glad that Mina Lima is actually getting into the core source material of the series um, to where they're being involved with designing um, new covers of the books um, and things like that. I, uh, you know, I, I have to say it's about time, really. But at the same time, I'm kind of thinking, gosh, do we really need another redesign? <laughs> That's a little bit where I'm at. That was too. my first thought. <laughs> and like, they know exactly where to get me because I really want to mean a Lima set of the books. Like, I think it's going to be beautiful. It's going to fit with the the visuals that we see in the films themselves. And, you know, I think because I know I'm going to buy this, it's going to be like my seventh set of Harry Potter books. Do I need seven sets of Harry Potter books? No, but am I going to get them? Yes. <laughs> Pretty soon it's going to turn into how many bookshelves or bookcases do you need for your Harry Potter books? You know, not not just shelves at at, at that time. Well, they like, already well, take up two whole shelves on mine, and I imagine there's plenty of people with more than me. <laughs> yeah. So some of the special features of at least the new Sorcerer's Stone edition is it will be adorned with paper craft features and special fold-out pages recreating the likes of Diagon Alley and naturally Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. You can even immerse yourself in a pop-out Great Hall Feast and almost join the festivities yourselves. So I'm, I'm very much with you. I'm excited about it. But at the exact same time, it's get, let the other ones finish first. Like, I don't know, but you, you can't like wait so long before they have their chance to do it, too. Like, it, you have too many freaking talented people involved and too many people that we like like that. They just know it and they can keep pushing that that dollar sign button on their keyboards, I think. Well, as long as they know that Potter fans are going to buy it, you know, as long as they know it's going to sell and let's face it. Harry Potter's always going to sell no matter what. Um, I think we were having this discussion earlier today in our Slack chat, even with the Hogwarts mystery game. Uh, folks were wondering, oh, are we still playing it? And if so, have we spent any money on it? And, you know, I hey, I raised my hand. I have. You know, this is just another thing for us to kind of spend our, our money on. And, I mean, it's going to work. It will. Well, you can look for Sorcerer's Stone to come out October 20th of this year, published by Bloomberry in the UK and Scholastic in the US. The final Luke story, um, this one I just thought was silly. Um, Warner Brothers fails to acquire, quote unquote, Dumbledore domain name. And as you can probably imagine, since it's a real world word it's kind of too broad for them to to take that from somebody else over yeah. copyright infringement so 
Agreed. hundred percent agreed. I'm definitely nowhere near an expert in copyright, but I started laughing only because, you know, my dog is named Albus Dumbledore. And so part of me was like, wouldn't it be awesome if like it was my dog who had acquired the domain and like had all the rights and ownerships and just had all of his mean mug and pictures that I post on his Instagram. I feel like especially from 2019 to 2020, we have seen Warner Brothers and JK Rowling and effectively the Wizarding World really try and extend their reach. And honestly, to points where I'm becoming a little disenchanted as a fan or not disenchanted, maybe just a little disappointed, like trying to take ownership of the word Dumbledore, trying to monopolize as much as you can on republication of illustrated editions of books and stuff like that. It's just one of those moments where I hope someone out there is listening to realize that maybe the fandom is like, hey, maybe take a step back and reflect on the decisions you're making because as diehard fans, like, I don't know if anyone else agrees, but as much as the story is funny, I'm also like kind of just disappointed in the Wizarding World and J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers. I mean, I get it. Uh, we, and we've kind of beat this topic to death on the show before um, about the Harry Potter, uh, what is it, the brand and the global brand development team really um, taking control of everything that is Potter. Um, so I don't really have too, too much to say on that. Uh, but I I did go to Dumbledore.com, and I do want to read what it says. It's only a couple of sentences here, uh, but it's a, it looks like it's a white page right now, um, unless I am just totally missing an edge That's here. That's exactly what I'm saying as well. <laughs> it says, Dumbledore, how can wisdom of crowds do good? Dumbledore's vision is to create an argument protocol to fuel knowledge web and goodness religion. We're, we're currently we're making product roadmap decisions in the emerging sector of network content with products such as a notes taking tool similar to Rome, a content aggregator or a debate platform to not be corrupted by capitalism like other software companies example facebook google we make decisions based on goodness and operate as a capped company under conditional open source and then it provides a bunch of links um and buttons but that don't don't work (laughs) that don't work yeah yeah i feel like this is just a, a a page just a I'm not even sure if that made sense. That entire thing that I read uh, to me, it there's was there's like, some there's some content in there. I've noticed as you scroll down the page, the words at the top uh, consistently change as well. Like you have to scroll way down for it to get into anything else, which is weird. Um, they they mentioned flat earthers um, are easy to prove wrong. There's this is a weird website. I don't know. It's it's odd. That is strange. Yeah, yeah. You can uh, send them an email at contact at uh, Dumbledore.com. I wonder if it gets to Albus. You know, I like to think so. I like to think so. So send them an uh, an email asking them about the scar uh, just above their left knee that looks like the London Underground. So have them describe it for you. And that's it for Luke's news. So I will throw it over to... Terrence, for announcements, right? Okay, guys. So we did find our audio editor, and we're excited to, to begin working with him very, very soon. Uh, but we're still looking to fill loads of other positions, uh, all the way from website positions uh, of HogwartsRadio.com to social media. And we're even looking for a producer for the show. So if you're interested in becoming a part of our team, 
shoot an owl over to don't literally shoot an owl, please um, send an owl over to staff at hogwartsradio.com and we'll be sure to uh, review it over there and, and get back to you. These are uh, the, these are unusual times. Uh, these are trying times. And I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to Alex right now, um, who is going to keep us a little sane over here. I mean, we're all a little mad here anyway at Hogwarts Radio, but that's okay. But these are definitely trying times in the world. And, and um, we're hoping that everybody's really staying safe and, and sane. Um, but... Uh, Alex has a couple of uh, wellness tips for us. And uh... so obviously it's, it's a new time for all of us figuring out what life kind of looks like right now. Um, and with my fascination with health and wellness, um, I figured I would share just some of my insider tips and tricks and working with therapists and working in mental health and just kind of what I've been seeing. Um, so to be super cheesy, I obviously had to make a Harry Potter acronym out of my five tips. So I'm calling it the Dobby approach. Um, and I have made a very silly little graphic that I will definitely post on my Twitter if anyone wants to see it. Um, but you know, for our Harry Potter fans, it's just a fun way of keeping track of the good ways to kind of stay sane and keep focused during these times. Um, so the D, the D is the big one, the basic one. It's day by day, take it day by day. And I know that's really hard with job security, with, you know, just knowing what our health looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I know for me, it's been like, do I go to work? Do I not go to work? All these different things. But I think if you can remind yourself at night, like, okay, I accomplished today and tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to assess tomorrow in the morning and take it as it comes. It's the best way to kind of limit the focus and also limit potential anxiety. Because I think if you think, you know, very much down the line, it looks very overwhelming. Um, so just take it day by day is I think the biggest piece of advice that I could give and I've seen a lot of people give. Um, so that's the D, the O. Over or omit the overwhelming stuff. Um, so obviously we want to be informed, right? We want to know what our local governments are telling us to do, what health providers are telling us to do. But it is so easy to get sucked in the vortex of like the 24-hour news cycle. Um, Twitter be blowing up with some hot takes. Um, so I definitely have to limit my Twitter consumption. But I think, you know, just limiting that and setting boundaries for yourself of like, cool, okay, on my lunch break, I'm going to check in on the news, see what's going on. Maybe I'll check in on Twitter every once in a while, whatever your news based platform is. But don't sit and just overwhelm yourself in the black hole that can be information. Because, um, you know, it's constantly changing, but is it changing minute by minute? No. And it's probably going to overwhelm you if you sit in that vortex. Um, so omit the stuff that overwhelms you. Um, my first B is be a buddy to yourself. Um, and so check in with what you need. You know, um, if you're an introvert and, you know, this is probably a really cool time for you. You're like, hell yeah, this is what I've been rocking most of my life. Um, but if you're an extrovert and you thrive on the company of others and whatnot, make sure you're just picking up the phone and talking to people, texting people, taking care of what you need. I am a huge runner. That is how I stay sane. So every day I get up, I go for my run, and then I start my day. It's just how it works. Um, I'm checking on others. If you know someone is particularly vulnerable right now or anxious right now, just checking on and saying, hey, 
you or send a funny meme or something, whatever your language is with that person. I've definitely been checking in with a few of my friends who I know are particularly anxious around this time. And even if I can't solve their problems or offer them great solutions, I know I can just listen. Um, and that's something that I think we could all be doing for each other. So that's my first B. Um, second B is just be present with yourself. Um, so I know a lot of times when people like this feels really surreal. And so a lot of people are like, I, I, I don't understand what reality is right now. And some people become very overwhelmed with that. And so there's a technique called just like grounding yourself, which is just using your five senses in that moment. Like take a deep breath. What do you smell? Look around. What do you see? Like touch something, obviously be responsible with your touching. Um, but you know, like if you're outside, like literally run your hands through the grass. It seems so simple, but for a lot of my clients who may be super overwhelmed, I use it with them and I'll be like, your sweater's fuzzy. Touch the fuzziness on your sweater. It kind of reminds them like, okay, I'm here right now. And it kind of just reminds yourself to be present with who you are in that moment instead of getting overwhelmed. Um, and then the last thing is that you know, this is our new normal, your new normal. So what does that look like? Um, Bailey, you made the comment of like, well, I just kind of rolled out of bed this morning and was like, well, I guess I'll start working. Um, and a lot of us do that. But I also think it's important, like if you had a routine before work, keep it up. Like if you read, you know, Twitter and had a cup of coffee, um, that's my version of the newspaper. Um, I always go for a run before work. Um, I, like to step away from my desk at work or else I will never stop working. Like little things like that, you know, integrate it into your new normal of being at home. But, you know, don't don't forget the little things that made you happy when you were in the office or you were in your store, wherever you were. Um, just, you know, don't forget that it's a, it's a new situation and be mindful of creating your new normal. And so that is my Dobby's tricks to staying sane during the COVID-19 crisis. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. And those are really helpful tips. And if I can just, you know, add one more thing. Um, and I kind of want to do this all right now with everybody, um, regardless if you're, you know, if we're sitting here recording right now, or if we're you're listening to it days later or even years later, um, everybody, I just want to take just a quick moment here and just breathe. Deep breath in and out. Let's do it together. It'll be okay. We're all going to be okay. And we're all in this together. And thank you so much, Alex. You know, as you, as you were coming up with that acronym, I think uh, in our little um, uh, back and forth uh, on our personal Slack chat, um, I shared kind of a little chant that you can use to remember it. And uh, it's uh, D-O-B-B-Y, that'll be your alibi, it's Dobby. Yeah, yeah, it's Dobby. Yeah, yeah, it's Dobby. <laughs> I love it. I freaking love it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump into a couple of discussion questions that we have lined up today. The first one uh, was actually... Uh, entered in by Luke not too long ago as we were uh, trying to come up with topics and ask the question, what percentage of the world's population do you think is magical? And this is a very, very good question because there's what, about 8 billion people in the world? I, I mean, I would say give or take, I mean, no exact numbers here or anything like that, but um, 
but I think that's that's more or less a rounded answer. Um, even if you were to think, like, is it 0.5%? Is it 0.2%? Is it even 1%? That is still a really, really big number. So I, I appreciate the uh, you know loving of the question. I don't know if I came up with this question. I may have. I don't think I don't. I don't remember it. It's possible, um, but I don't know. I feel like even that seems high to me. I feel like we're more several decimal points lower than that uh, personally, just for how small of a number. So in the podcast that must not be named, we just went through number 12 Grimald plays for the first time, right? And so we hear how close all of these pure blood families are tied together. And for that many families, which are the ones we hear about consistently and throughout the histories of everything, it just doesn't seem like it branches outwards much. And maybe that's just an Anglo-centric version of it. Maybe it's different in the different continents and different areas where even there, it seems like it's a lot more in the wilds, you know, most prevalently, there's a certain number of schools that we know about, but it just to me feels like it's a much lower percentage than even half a percentage or 0.2%. I mean, I'm thinking more like, you know, topping out at a couple hundred thousand globally, (laughs) <laughs> but that's just me. I don't know. That's still a really high number as well. You know, it's, I mean, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, what there's, okay, so there's seven continents. Do we know if there's a school, a wizarding school on each continent? All or, of uh, it, Antarctica. For Antarctica. Yeah. Would you, yeah, would you like the list of uh, schools? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And so there's the Hogwarts, which is in Scotland. There's Bobatons, which is in France. Castelo Bruchu, which is in central Brazil. Durmstrang, which is in northern Europe. Ilvermorny, which is in eastern North America. Mahutakoru, which is in Japan. Wagada, Wagoduo in Uganda. And oh, this is, I feel like this is a newer one. I don't remember this one. Koldovsturets uh, in Russia. I don't remember that being in the original listing. Um but I could just be forgetting which happens. So there's eight. That might have been something that she added. Yeah, that might have been something that she added later on. I feel like a couple of those have been added uh, recently, in fact. It says it is one of the 11 schools registered with the International Confederation of Wizards. I just don't remember that one being there. So as you guys were going through the series, or as you guys are going through the series, Luke, have you discussed the uh, size of the student body at Hogwarts? It, it, it always comes up. I feel like a lot earlier in the books, it came up a lot more often. Um, and I mean, you can try to do all the math you want to and, you know, hey, what's the average class? And there are certain ways you could justify pretty easily why... You know, say the average school size is about a thousand, which is what JK has always said to us. But these classes that the number of students that we see clearly don't seem to add up to that. But if you look forward, you know, the past 13 years before that, it's a war torn society. I mean, there's going to be fewer kids born. That's just kind of natural progression of what happens and things like that. And even, you know, however long Voldemort was really in power before that, I mean, it's people are going to still have kids, but there are going to be those people who hesitate where maybe they normally wouldn't have. So overall, I feel like in the time period of story that we get, 
which is different than Fantastic Beasts culture, right? That's a whole different society pre-Tom Riddle that maybe numbers are just down in general. Again, more from an Anglo-centric perspective on that because I don't think he was affecting much of what was going on in Japan, but who knows? Um, so I feel like numbers are down currently, but that's just a an average dip and it'll rebound. So I, I don't think it's I think it's feasible for um, a thousand to to be achieved. I don't think that's what's there currently. I don't know. I mean, I definitely feel like it's not a vast majority of the population that is, you know, I mean, definitely under 1%, I feel like is a fair guesstimation. It's got to be, you know, small enough for it to still feel niche and cool and, you know, maybe like you're a little bit better than everyone else, but really you're not. You just happen. <laughs> My only thoughts are that I love everyone on this podcast for being so much more detail oriented and mathematically forward than I am because I, like Luke's having this conversation about population density and percentages. And I'm like, Damn, like I, my brain didn't go there for this sure. This is what happens when and, you literally have a podcast with an engineer and a math teacher. So it's <laughs> it's kind of one of our things. Sorry. I'm like naive. I'm like, oh, I wish everyone could just be a little bit of magic. I just like it it depends on like the concentration of magic within you. Does it actually manifest or not? Is it like a recessive gene and like it just activated in only so many people? And so we're having this in-depth conversation and I'm like intelligent and like up on the fandom. And there are days where I'm like, I kind of just feel like a golden retriever who's just happy to be here. And that's kind of how I felt during this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, as you, you've got to think like population density as well. Uh, I, I'm glad that somebody went there. I'm glad that we went there with that because, I mean, there's a lot more people in Asia than there are in the United States, uh, than there are in, you know, the UK, than there are, than there is in Russia. You know, it's, you've got to think that there's, you know, a, a, a a correlation like they're all spread out everywhere that they're all living their life that they've all got their own statutes of secrecy um i i, I don't know the the number the number itself is just mind-boggling to me i mean a hundred thousand still seems a little high to me but hey you never know very good question to get the wheels turning here um let's ask uh let's ask the panel uh, do we have an all time favorite chapter of the series luke i'm gonna go ahead and, and throw it over to you first because you're this is most fresh in your mind since you're actively going through the series chapter by chapter um, have we hit your favorite chapter yet on the podcast that must not be named so i definitely wrote this question <laughs> and uh we have we hit it a couple years ago now, probably two years ago now. To me, this has been an easy all-time favorite chapter. It's in book three. It is, anyone want to guess? Bailey already knows, so she can't guess. It's in book three. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Is it, um, I, I don't know the name of the chapter. Is it? Is it where, um, is it where uh, the start of where Harry and Hermione use the time turner? No. I, chapter's escaping me. No, it is chapter number four, The Leaky Cauldron. And 
if you know the chapter, you might be able to realize why. To me, that was a bit of a game changer chapter the first time I read it, and it always brings me back to those feelings of how I felt at that point. And the fact that Harry gets to just be a kid in what I'll call real world wizarding society for the first time without school getting in the way without anything and he's just meeting these adults who are doing their magical daily routines and it's just awesome like that's the kind of stuff i think all of us when we go and visit one of the universal parks envision right we just want to live there and we just want to feel like we're a part of the daily happenings and like that's what he got for two unadulterated weeks and it to me that was always every time we do something out of school like going even to um St. Mungo's was always really cool to me you know and like seeing the different places and how they're hidden but that was the first chapter that we get extended time for Harry to be a part of the wizarding world outside of school so I always loved that chapter so much my favorite chapter is going to have to be uh chapter 34 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, The Forest Again. Um, this is where Harry, at the end of chapter 33, uh, you know, The Princess Tale, uh, you know, Harry finds out, you know, that he, in fact, has to, he has a piece of Voldemort's soul inside him and uh, has been since, you know, Voldemort tried to kill him as an infant. He must die in order for Voldemort to, you know, truly be defeated. And Voldemort has to be the one to do it. And and the whole journey that Harry goes through in that particular chapter just kind of seems like he's floating. He's he's surreal. He knows what he has to do right now. Um, he knows what he has to do. And it's just like, you know, he's like, okay, you know, this is it. He's come to that acceptance part. Um, you know, he feels more alive than ever. Um, he wonders, is it going to hurt? Yeah, of course, he doesn't want to say goodbye to anybody. No, he doesn't. You know, he sees Neville on his way out of the castle. You know, he tells them, he tells him that if something happens to him, you know, he's got to kill Voldemort's snake because that's the last Horcrux. You know, he walks his journey across the grounds of, of Hogwarts um, towards the Forbidden Forest. You know, just the memories kind of hit him. You know, it's just kind of a surreal uh, chapter. And, you know, he sees his, it's, it's emotional, you know, whenever he sees his, his parents and Sirius and Lupin and he asks his dad, um, you know, and mom, will you stay with me? And that's just, ah, I'm, I'm I'm getting choked up just thinking about it because, you know, he's like, I don't know. He's just like, is it, he's like a little kid. Is it, does it hurt? And Sirius is like, it's quicker than falling asleep. You know, it's, and they're like, he's like, is he going to stay with me? And they're like to the very end. And my goodness, such an emotionally wrenching chapter. Cause you don't know what's going to happen after that part. And then he dies. Then he dies. He, he half dies. <laughs> then he half dies. It's a, it's a lot more dramatic saying it that way. <laughs> I have so many favorite chapters, but I think the one that really stands out to me the most is chapter one of Half-Blood Prince, The Other Minister. Because I remember, like, that is one chapter that I distinctly remember reading the very first time I picked that book up. And it was so jarring because we didn't immediately enter into Harry's world. We didn't immediately find out what was going on in Harry's life. We found out what was going on in the wizarding world abroad that was affecting the muggle world and so for me that chapter just always stood out to me as something that you know really grounded how serious things were getting 
totally. That is an awesome chapter. I really like that chapter because it showed we've always wondered up until that point does the muggle community know about the wizarding community and we finally got an answer to that oh, they they know about them they just, you know at least the upper echelons of the government do and then they just kind of stay out of the way they have this kind of agreement yada yada and i i mean i thought that was that was the most fascinating part of the chapter for me alex what about you do you have a favorite chapter in the series so before I dive into that, I feel like I am truly having like a, a Hufflepuff like lovey moment because everyone has talked about their chapters. I'm like, oh, that's such a good one. I love that chapter. And <laughs> it's like that golden retriever moment again where I'm just like happy to be here. I'm like, oh my God, I love that too. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, Alex. Would you say okay. it's kind of like, um, God, what is it? Doug from Up? <laughs> You know, we, we kind I of have the porch because I love you. <laughs> we kind of have the benefit of pretty much all of them being quite good. I mean, there's some exceptional, yeah. especially good ones, but there really are no wrong choices except for Norbert. Uh, that one's pretty weak. Just continue. <laughs> it was just so funny. Like Alex, okay, you can't like all of these. You have to pick one. Uh, but in, in true Alex fashion, um, I picked a Luna-centric chapter, um, which actually there's a really great article on that I remember coming out a while ago, and I can um, share it in the, the notes. Um, but it is in the Order of the Phoenix, and it's the second war begins. Um, and kind of like to, to Bailey's point about tone shifting, I do think it's the point at which the tone of the series really does change after Sirius's death. And we kind of know that it from here on out, the series is going to become darker and more complex and a little bit more fraught with this tension and um, kind of that happy go luckiness starts to fade away a little bit. But what I do love is Harry really connecting with Luna like genuinely for the first time. Um, I mean, they, they have their moments, but that's the point where he kind of realizes how much he has in common with her um, and just how genuine of a soul she is. And I think she's the first person who shows just pure unadulterated empathy towards Harry in that moment. just lost his godfather and he doesn't want to talk about it. And I don't think Ron and Hermione truly understand how to talk to him about it. But she's just so pure. And she's just like, I, you know, I heard he was your godfather. Like, I'm so sorry. I heard it was a death eater. She allows him that moment to just talk about it and process it. Um, and it's just truly delightfully Luna. But it's, I love that Luna is kind of the vehicle for that tone shift of the series um, in that moment of just like, hey, we're going to have to have these difficult conversations. Let's start now. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's why I picked The Second War Begins. You know, I feel like Luna can relate to Harry the most because she has lost somebody. Um, and Ron and Hermione really just, like you said, they, they wouldn't understand you know, completely because they hadn't, up to that point, they hadn't lost anybody um, and they wouldn't be able to relate. And Luna's just like, oh, my God, you know what? I, you know, I feel you. I've been there. I am so sorry. I, I think four for four on this panel, guys, that those are... Those are exceptional chapters overall. 
And now I just want to go reread the whole series. All right, we're we're starting <laughs> we're starting our podcast over. We're starting chapter one again. We're gonna go through them all. Hey, now <laughs> there is such a thing. Self isolation, as- Harry Potter reread. Oh man! All right, read a chapter. <laughs> talk about it for five minutes. Read the next chapter. Talk about it for five minutes. We should be done in you know by the time we can go. I'll go back to work. Mm-hmm. There is <laughs> such a thing as bibliotherapy. I was going to bring it up in my my jobby to dos um, in the self care situation, but hell yeah, books can be extremely therapeutic. All hands on deck, buddy. It, it would be dababi at that time. Dababi. 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 All right, guys, let's move on to uh, our next segment. The Smells of Hogwarts makes its return. And uh, it's been a while since we've done this one. So uh, let's talk about what Hagrid's hut would smell like. Any thoughts on this one? There's, I, I, there, honestly, there would be a wide variety of smells, let's be honest. But, you know, any one smell in particular stands out to anybody on this one. I imagine it being extremely musty. Like I don't, I don't picture Hagrid as the kind of guy that's gonna care about his body odors, and so I just feel like it would smell overwhelmingly of Hagrid's stench. I say I, I don't know why, but I kind of get this image of wet dog, um, just because it's always wet and rainy. I feel like in Scotland, and then there's. Fang and he's you know on Hagrid's adventures with him and then he comes back in and I I like I have this image of wet dog and a meat walker um, because (laughs) he always has like random especially depicted in the films he's always got some slab of meat hanging from his ceiling randomly and so I I don't (laughs) know what that particularly smells like when you put it together but visually that is what I imagine (laughs) so I, I I could tell you what it smells like it specifically smells like hams and pheasants, which are hanging from the ceiling. Specifically stated in book one. <laughs> it also might smell oh, wow. like galoshes or a crossbow um, or copper kettles boiling on the fire. You know, I, I, I like the, the big wet dog for sure, um, which I can totally relate to because I have a big wet dog that lives in my house and she's enormous and <laughs> slobbery. Question. Yeah. What does a crossbow smell like? Oh, you know, half wood, half uh, metal. It smells like Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, it depends um, if you've oiled it recently as well. You know, proper proper crossbow care will never lead you astray, as the old adage goes. So, like, I didn't know that. That's not that's not an old adage. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Ten points to Ravenclaw for obviously going and finding the actual citation I'm to what is in freaking Hagrid's cabin. Literally but the worst. Minus five for lack of creativity. Come on now. I mean, when you have the right answer, technically correct is the best kind of correct. Mm, negatory you know- ghostwriter. Negatory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm about to blow your minds. You ready? It smells just like the Hufflepuff common room. Very earthy. What? <laughs> oh, fine. Okay. There's really only... How Hufflepuff's dirty like that? They're by oh, the Hufflepuff. They're by the kitchens. Yeah, it's going to smell yeah. like baked goods. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite smell. Thank you very much. Hagrid's <laughs> hut clearly smells like rock cakes. I mean, come on. Those are Hagrid's always on. might on also deck. smell like burnt rock. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree. 
And it definitely, it, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't smell like Twilight Woods from Bath and Body Works. I can tell you all that. I, I doubt it. I I, that was my yeah. favorite, though. <laughs> I will say at the um, at the very end of book six, it smelled a lot like smoke. Mm. Too soon. Oh. Too soon. Oh, that. Yeah, a little bit. <sighs> Minus five. Oh. Oh, Luke, you're in the negative now. Oh. Wow. We were way up on points. We've got points to spare. Uh, before we get out of here today, let's play Avada Kedavra Amortentia Imperio. And the first one today is going from me to Alex. So, Alex, your three for Avada Kedavra Amortentia Imperio are going to be Rubius Hagrid, Cornelius Fudge, and Victor Crumb. Oh, I like this one. Um, I don't know why. Well, no, I do why and know why. Um, Avada Kedavra for sure goes to Fudge. Um, that was a very gut visceral reaction. I I think I would Amortentia Crumb. Uh, rocking some Hermione vibes on that one. And I feel really guilty using Imperial against Hagrid. Um. But I would only make him do really nice things, just like be my best friend, essentially, if he didn't like my Hufflepuffness for some reason. So I guess that's my selfish way of justifying that I would use Imperial against Hagrid. I am an awful human being. There is a special place in hell for me for saying that, but I did it. Help him with, uh, he could help you with your baking, you know? Oh, hell yeah. Rock cakes. Uh, can you imagine Hagrid baking with you? That would be, that'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> It'd be delightful. I think you need a bigger kitchen. Mm -hmm. All right, Luke, are you ready to choose between Professor McGonagall, Professor Trelawney, and Professor Sinistra? McGonagall, Trelawney, and Sinistra? Is that right? That is correct. This is is one of the... This is an easy one for me. Yeah. Yeah. Imperio Sinistra killing the hell out of Trelawney and uh, <laughs> and definitely Amortentia for McGonagall. She is awesome. I feel, I feel really good about my answer. I was going to say if you, if you uh, I swear to God you better not kill McGonagall. <laughs> no, in my top three favorite characters of all time. That's sacrilege. That, yeah, that would be grounds to fire you from the cast. Top three favorite characters. McGonagall, you are not allowed Luna, to be a fan. <laughs> McGonagall, Luna, and Frank Bryce. Bro, wait, hang on, hold up. For Frank Bryce. Frank Bryce. Hell, he's such a random character. That's like saying Ludo Bagman also gets a bad rap, but didn't make the top three. That's such a Luke answer. I just have to say that. Part of us, the Barbie. Oh my god. Okay, Demon Diggle is my favorite character. He shows up a lot more than you might think. (laughs) Terrence, I've got a couple for you. You think you might be ready for this one? Oh, God, I'm scared. Are they at least human? They are all human. Okay, thank God. No beasts or ants or anything? No, they're they're all female, and they are all from Fantastic Beasts movie films. Oh, all right. Vinda Rosier, Lita Lestrange, and Tina. I'm going to kill Tina. Avada Kedavra Tina, because I don't, uh, I just don't, I don't like her as a character anyway. I just, she's boring to me. Um, and I'll get into that more on a future episode. <laughs> um, Imperio Rosier. And what the hell would I have Rosier do? What would you recommend? Uh, she's a cold blood killer. I mean, that's for sure. All right. She could be my hit woman. 
That's, that's that's great. Kind of literally what she does for Grindelwald. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get rid of my uh, get rid of my enemies. Um, and I absolutely love Lita Lestrange. So um, it would have been a difficult one if it was Queenie and Lestrange. That would have been hard for me. But uh, it was almost Nagini Lita- instead of Tina. But okay. Um, but Lita Lestrange, I, I I love her as a character. Really, really enjoy her uh, backstory and the emotion, emotional journey that she goes through in Crimes of Grindelwald. Good ones, Luke. I, I appreciate that. Thank you for not giving me, you know, plants and stuff again and <laughs> Barnaby and creatures and all that good stuff. And you Pirates didn't of the Caribbean. Choose the Devil's Snare. No, 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 Devil's Snare, please. <laughs> it's been a while. I'm rusty. I had to go. Had to go simple. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, Bailey, uh, I am going to give you Nymphadora Tonks, Cedric Diggory, and Hannah Abbott. Oh, oh. dang it. You threw Hannah Abbott in there, which really messed up my plans. (laughs) Sorry about that. I was going to Avada Kedavra Cedric because he's such a spare. What a spare. Hannah Abbott. I guess I'll have a cadaver Hannah Abbott because we don't really know too much about her. And what we know of Cedric, I like. Um, okay, so what am I going to Imperio Cedric to do? I don't know. Okay. Make him Be go find looking. some things for me. That too. He's you know, a really he's, good he's fight. He's not hard, hard on the eyes. Um, <laughs> exactly. I'll make him go find things for me. Um, and then obviously I'm going to Amortentia Tonks because she is amazing and hilarious and I'd be happy to be with her any day. Mm-hmm. Excellent answers. Excellent. Wonderful answers and wonderful characters this week. It's a lot of fun and interesting characters and some that I, I personally have forgotten about myself. So it's good to revisit those and I love hearing all the wonderful different things that we'll have everybody do. <laughs> And it's been such a fun, informative episode. And gosh, I've had such a great time this week with you guys. So thank you so much for the pleasure of your company this week, everybody. Feels good to have some social interaction, right? With people that are like-minded and things that we care about. Mm -hmm. We are definitely getting this social distancing thing right. (laughs) Yes. With the help of a little magic, right? Yeah. Way more than... Six feet. <laughs> <laughs> but no more than six degrees of separation. Oh, oh. Uh, that's something for you guys to chew on. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, I'm Terrence Pinkston. I'm Bailey Riddle. I'm Luke Hogan. And I'm Alex Bowman. And we'll see you next time for episode 259. Bye-bye. That was bloody brilliant. Cards, Wallace.